Hello, hello, welcome. Mike has to be on for y'all to hear us. What's yes, going on? What up, though? What up, though? Sabaydi. This is Marcella <laughs> Robertson and my beautiful wife, Nippapon Robertson. You. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Blazing Soul Podcast, once again, mm -hmm. every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Central. Um, we are here to change the narrative of uh, Black and Asian community. As we all know, 2020 was a experience mm -hmm. to say the least um, but we did find that um, a lot of the negative comments and, and connotations and, and just general talk um, about mm -hmm. the black community because of the civil unrest and because of the pandemic the Asian community we just found that there was a lot of uh, for lack of a better term hate out there for some odd reason so uh, we started this podcast to change that narrative to highlight you know you always see celebrities and movie stars out there as uh, leaders and community leaders but uh, we have some right in our own backyard whether they are entrepreneurs whether they are role models community leaders people out there changing and making a difference uh, right in our own backyard um, i would like to start off by saying that this uh, individual that will be coming on as our guest is a um, personal uh, I guess mentor um, while I was in college and uh, he is one that has changed so many lives um, that you know I felt that we had to bring him on and kind of share his story um, share what he's done in the past what he's doing now and to uh, kind of give praise uh, give, you know they say give your flowers give your gifts now while people are around <laughs> don't wait around so this is the perfect opportunity I believe to um, commend him for everything that he's done uh, for myself, for uh, a wealth of my friends, and just for young minorities growing up, uh, trying to go to school and trying to find out about their lives. He was instrumental in guiding a lot of us. So without further ado, I would like to welcome uh, Professor Raymond Gant to the uh, podcast. Thank you. Certainly, it's an honor and a privilege to be here. Thank you very much for the invitation. Without a doubt, without a doubt, you, um, you know, we can go through and we will go through your many accomplishments. But, you know, as a young man coming up to Ferris State University um, and not having any idea what I wanted to do, what journey I was going to go on, um, you were instrumental in helping us kind of, you know, uh, kind of guide us, not only guide us um, as far as the educational aspect was concerned, but guide us with kind of life lessons and, you know, get the knucklehead out of us and, and <laughs> kind of get us to focus on what we're supposed to focus on. Um, and I, you know, I've said your name um, ad nauseum to my wife as far as, you know, things mm -hmm. that we've done at Ferris and yes. how you used to help us out and back us. And it was a, it was a, an experience to say the least. And I finally get to meet you. <laughs> thank you. It's, it's my pleasure. I look forward to the conversation and, and thank you for those wonderful compliments. Definitely. Uh, before we start on uh, your background and kind of getting into your story, um, we would like to have a short video uh, for you to watch and for the audience to watch, and we can kind of go from there. Awesome. All right.
Raymond Gant, 30 years. What can I say? I met you 30 years ago. That's over half my lifetime. I also had the opportunity to work in Office of Minority Affairs, which many don't know. So that gave me a little bit of extra up in terms of hearing from the man of the hour who always, always kept it real. You didn't sugarcoat anything. You told it just like it was. And that just helped. It helped so much to know the reality that we would be facing once we graduated from Ferris. Um, we still keep in contact. And I just appreciate that about you. I look forward to seeing your posts on social media because you always have some type of story or just, just something to drop for us to just digest. Um, I appreciate that you impacted my life and you continue to impact so many more. Hello, this is Omari Barksdale. I wanna say thank you to my cousin Raymond Gant for being a great uh, mentor, for providing empowerment and providing special attention to students at Ferris State University. Your great legacy will continue for many generations. Hi, my name is Christina Carson. From being a student at Ferris State University to my adulthood, seeing the love, dedication, passion, and loyalty that Mr. Gant showed the Office of Minority Student Affairs, as well as the students on Ferris State campus, it taught me that these are characteristics that I should exhibit in my everyday life. That way, my job will never be worked. Thank you, Mr. Gant. Hey, everybody. If anybody knows anything about Raymond, they know he's an extremely good motivator. Case in point, back when I was in college, pledging Sigma, the Big Brothers took us over to Minority Affairs and we sat down and met with Raymond for the first time. At one point during the conversation, he asked uh, the Big Brother at the time, um, which one of these Crescents has talent? Chip responded, number four knows how to rap. Raymond looked at me and says, okay, number four, rap for me. I was embarrassed because of my first time meeting Ray. So my response back to him with a straight face was, with all due respect, big brother, we'd, not, we'd rather not rap at this time. Raymond sat back in his chair, looked at me and said, okay, number four, you can rap now or you can take the rap later. I looked at my line brother and said, give me a beat. That was just one way Ray could motivate you. But that's the positive impact he made on my life. This is my very first time meeting Ray. And from that moment on, you could not look at this brother and not be motivated. Whether he was in the dorm room speaking to a crowd or behind closed doors dealing with us, he's a very motivational brother. He's a big reason as to uh, why I'm in the position I'm at today. So thank Raymond uh, for everything he's done for me. Thanks, Ray. Wow, that's you know, I I am so humbled by that and just uh I almost brought me to tears a little bit. I mean just to see <laughs> those students uh, I, I wasn't I wasn't expecting any of that at all. And it's just, it's just incredible to to see the power of uh of young people and to see how they can move and change this world. And everyone that came on 
they are they are movers and shakers. They're doing incredible things in their life, and they're and they're molding and shaping this world. And it's going to be better because of their leadership. And I'm so honored and humbled that they would even acknowledge me in the manner that they did. So God bless them, and thank you so much. Thank you so much. It is uh, it is truly truly um, deserved, without a doubt. Um, so let's kind of go into okay for all of the people who don't know who uh, Professor Raymond Gann is. Let's kind of go through your journey. Um, now, when you before you even got to Ferris, um, what was your background? What school did you go to? Um, you know, when did you come to realize what you wanted to do and, and make that transition into helping students? Kind of take us through the the initial background of you um, choosing your career and going to school. Well, I have to give credit to, uh, to two significant people in my life, and that's my mother and my father. Um, without their fundamental and foundational teachings, I would not be the man that I am today. Um, in addition to that, you know, I had a strong family network with my uncles and my aunts and cousins and, and two other people in particular, my two sisters, who just incredible motivators and just extremely sharp uh, educators and counselors and just uh, strategists. So I was the youngest of three, so I couldn't help but, you know, to, you know, focus on what the changes I had to make in people based upon what I, I saw within them and within my family. And so sure. that was just uh, you know, a, a foundational principle for me is to know that I, had, I came from a strong lineage and I had a responsibility to, to carry the torch forward to the next generation. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So did you know from an early on that you wanted to kind of help and motivate and mentor or was it, you know, let me just get into teaching because that is a noble profession. What was your thought process at that time? It's my belief that everyone has a purpose on this planet, and it's our responsibility, regardless of our age, to seek out what that purpose is. Now, you can have more than one purpose. You can have more than one. You can have multiple purposes, and they can change as you as you mature through life. But you have the, you have the duty to try to find out what that purpose and what those responsibilities associated with that purpose are. I knew early on that my responsibility, as 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 Glenn said. One of my gifts was that of of being able to inspire and to motivate. And I wanted to do that in a manner that would bring out the best in people. You see, I believed in young people before they believed in themselves. Mm -hmm. When I came to Ferris State University, they were lost. They were meandering. They didn't know exactly what they wanted to do. They knew they wanted to be better, but they didn't know exactly how to be better. My responsibility was to help guide them to on a course that could help them realize their potential because I saw the potential in them. I saw them as presidents, as CEOs, mm -hmm. as entrepreneurs, as inventors. I saw them as change makers, as sociologists, as professors, as, as writers and authors. I saw that in them. And it was just an incredible opportunity to be in the midst of such greatness and be able to, in some manner, uh, be able to influence that in some kind of way. So I was really honored to be in the position that I was. But it came from fundamental roots with my family, with my sisters, with my parents, with my extended family and, and, and my friends as well. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so what school did you attend to start garnering your many accomplishments? Well, I'm from Kalamazoo. I'm from Kalamazoo. I was born in Pawpaw, a city so nice they named it twice. Pawpaw is where I was born. Absolutely. And went to Kalamazoo Central, and I was uh, a scholar athlete at, at Kalamazoo Central. I played football. I was a pretty decent football player. So when I came to Ferris State, I actually came there initially to play football. That was one of the reasons why I selected Ferris. Okay. But I, I played. I really wasn't as excited about football. I was good at it, but I wasn't really excited about it. 
what I was excited about was leaving home. You know, for the first time going away. And when I left and went to hit Big Rapids and stayed over in 401 Bishop Hall at the time, uh, I just enjoyed my experience so much that uh, football was the farthest thing from my mind. So I came from Kalamazoo, went to Kalamazoo Central, then transitioned, went to, I went to uh, two years at KBCC, Kalamazoo Valley Community College, which yeah. was a great start for me, and then transitioned to Ferris State and became a Bulldog. Okay. All right. So after, now let me ask, did you pledge, because I had totally forgot you as a segment. I apologize to all the, uh, my blue brothers out there. I, um, I didn't, I totally forgot that you were a segment, but did you pledge at Ferris as well? I did. I did yeah. pledge a fair state. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pledged uh, with some really incredible brothers too that we're still, I'm still in contact with today. Arthur Bouchat, uh, uh, Brian Gordon, uh, Daniel Lee, the name goes on and on and on. Just a lot of good brothers. Uh, Samuel James, that uh, Timothy P. Irwin Heard, Maurice Guy, Thomas Poole, the list can go on and on. Mm -hmm. Steve Waller, these brothers that are doing incredible things to this day. So when I came to the campus, I saw that these brothers were doing some wonderful things. But unbeknownst to me that they were recruiting me too. I didn't know that. <laughs> you know, so it was kind of, you know, I thought that I was seeking them out and they were seeking me out at the same time. <laughs> and what a great merger for me. What a great opportunity to to meld with other brothers that had the same focus that I did to, to become change agents in their own communities. And the community that we had at that time was Fair State which was sure. Fair State College back in the day before it became ah, university. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. So you uh, you attended Ferris as well, um, pledged at Ferris. Okay, so now you're about to get your degree. What are What's your next steps? What did you think your next steps were at that time? Well, I was going to. I was graduating in 1984. That's a long time ago, but I can remember that just like it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. Came out in 1984, and I was on my way to the private sector. Had a job as an assistant manager at a Kmart. Believe it or not, oh, okay. so glad I didn't go that way. <laughs> you know, so glad as we look at Kmart's now in the United States, and not many of them left. No. But, uh, but uh, I, I was I was actually in a class. It was my last class of my senior year, and I had a professor by the name of Dr. William Becker. He was the vice president for planning and development. And I just I sat in the front of the class, and I would raise my hand and ask all kinds of questions. And he took a liking to me and said, "Hey Raymond, had you ever considered a career in in higher education?" I said, "No, I I'm a private sector man. I'm going out to Kmart. And I've got a job lined up. I'll be leaving here in a few weeks." And he said, "Well, you know, Raymond, hold on, pump your brakes a little bit. I have something that I want you to think about." So they created what was called a management intern position for me. And in that role, I was kind of a geek. I was a, I was a nerd. I started out in data processing and ended up in business. So I was a numbers guy. I was a nerd guy. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they created what's called a management intern position. And in that role, I worked in alumni and playing and development. Then I was on loan to the state of Michigan. I worked in various departments, the various regulatory bureaus in the state of Michigan, from the Department of Commerce to the Liquor Control Commission. So I worked there setting up data processing sites uh, for the state, working at Fair State. Hmm. Did that for a couple of years. And keep in mind that my salary then was $15,000 a year. That was my salary. That's wow. my annual salary, $15,000. Wow. And so I got a raise the next year, which was incredible. I went from 15000 to 16000 So I was a wealthy man. I made a whole bunch of money that next year. So year, so year three, um, I was, you know, I, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, looking at my experiences on campus and wondering how could I uh, enhance my experiences and the spirit and experience of the students that were coming to campus and those that were already there. It was at that point that we had the idea of uh, the black faculty and staff and, and, and myself as being part of that group that I started on the, on the campus. Uh, 
thought about the, the significance of creating the Minority Student Affairs Office. So it was a really a blended idea from many people coming together to start the office. And so uh, we submitted a proposal to the president. The president liked, liked the proposal. And hence, the, uh, that's how the office was established in 1986. Wow. Now, when you first started that, and let me tell you, um, that, that department, I mean, it morphed. And it wasn't just, hey, I have problems with my classes or things of that nature. I mean, it morphed into whatever problem occurred to us. We ran to the Minority Affairs Office. I mean, that's just that was that was my that was the advice I got, whether it was educational or otherwise. You got a problem. Go to Minority Affairs, speak to Raymond, see what he can do for you or see what advice he can give you. So did you ever envision that it would morph into what it, it, it eventually became? You know what? No, I didn't. I had no idea what it was going to become. I, I had an idea of what I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And sometimes what you want isn't necessarily what it's supposed to become. Right. And so it, it, it ultimately became what it was supposed to be, but that wasn't what I initially thought it was going to be. Um, mm-hmm. When the students would eventually, I, I had to create some credibility on campus and doing so meant that I had to separate myself from students. Now, keep in mind, I'm 24 years old, 23, 24. I was the youngest department head on campus, the first black department head on the campus of Ferris State. And I was only, I was very young. And so I was, you know, I was 23, 24, and I looked really youthful at the time too. And so when I was a department head, so I had to physically separate myself from the students in order to keep that credibility because I can't go to the bars with the students and then come in Monday morning trying to advocate on behalf of the students when I'm out out of shooters, you know, getting blue back. You just can't do that. So make that separation. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Or the alibi. We go way back. So so what I decided to do was um was to create uh, a kind of a separation between myself and the students, not in an elitist way, but in a way that would offer the credibility, grant credibility to the office. Now, keep in mind that when students came to me, I wasn't really necessarily received by the upper administration in the organization. Sure. See, the, the, the upper administration was hesitant and somewhat reticent about my role because they felt like they wanted me to be of the to keep the calm on campus and i'm not keeping the calm i'm raising the issues with the upper administration right as a result of that unbeknownst to students that my job was on the line all the time all the time my job was on the line but there are things in life that you have to take a position on and if and if the responsibility or the response rather from the administration was to separate you from the campus then so be it right so you have to take that position in life and it was just destined that um, that wasn't going to happen. So um, it wasn't easy when, when students would come to me uh, with, with claims of bigotry with a faculty member, and I call a meeting with the faculty member, and then the department head, and then the deans, and then the vice presidents. And I say, who is this little young black 24 year old going to try to tell me as a dean of this college with a PhD what needs to happen? Right. Well, you know, I wasn't really intimidated by, if you know anything about me, I'm not really intimidated by too many uh, circumstances or individuals. And, and I wasn't pompous or arrogant. I was just confident. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. And sure. so we, we would ameliorate those, uh, those challenges, set the policy and the protocols, move forward and try to create a campus that was truly represented diversity and inclusion. That's awesome. Now, there were a lot of times, uh, especially when I was up there, where um, there were marches, we organize, or I won't say we, because 
even though I didn't march, I, I didn't organize them. But there were a lot of times that um, some of the black fraternities and sororities and some of the organizations on campus would uh, do marches and, and, and bring in uh, guest speakers that might not have been what the higher ups at Ferris wanted. Um, it, it shed a lot of light on some of the negative aspects of Ferris, uh, even though it was an amazing university, um, there were a lot of pitfalls along the way. And you helping us and championing the, the uh, black students there, um, did that ever pose a problem or did, did that ever pose um, kind of a division between you being part of the faculty and you also being part of the call, so to speak? Oh, yes. <laughs> the short answer is yes, it did. But, uh, but it's important that the university be made aware of the areas where improvement needs to take place. We can't continue on pretending as if these issues don't exist. Now, you don't just bring the issues up. You offer solutions and strategies sure. to try to make it better. And, and altering a course, altering the course of a ship like Ferris State is difficult. You don't just turn it on a dime. You have to make gradual, gradual moves. But King said that gradualism is a little more than escapism and do nothing is which leads to standstillism. So you have to be careful about being gradual as well, because there are times that you need to be a little bit more aggressive in how you make those changes. But um, but we, we brought a lot of controversial speakers on campus, uh, individuals that uh, would uh, would make you think. And then I think that's what we need. We need to have individuals on campus that, that are going to cause you to think. And most importantly, to remind you of how great you are. Yes. Remind you of the legacy that you came from, the, the foundational, in terms of the human foundation that you came from, that resonates in your mind, body, and spirit, and pulses in, throughout the course of your bloodstream within your body. You come from greatness. I'm just here to remind you how great you are. Right. That's all. And right. these speakers would help Amelia help facilitate that point as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we did have a lot of speakers that I was very surprised at times that we were able to get them on campus. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I said, that that was that was change that was was vastly needed um, at Ferris being up in Big Rapids, which is a little bit more secluded from you know the big cities. Right. So, so definitely, that is something that uh, we appreciated. Um, so. After you have established yourself, established the Minority Affairs Office, uh, what are some of the accomplishments that you were proud of at Ferris? Well, the most significant accomplishment is just seeing the students flourish, okay. to come into their own, to realize um, that they can become change agents. And as a result of that realization, they were, as you may be, may be aware, I'm sure you are, there were several protests on campus as well, oh, yeah. some oh, of yeah. which received uh, some significant headlines, both nationally and, and uh, in the state and nationally as well. And uh, but students were they just stood up for what they believed in. And I was just so. I remember. Can't hear you. Now? I can hear you now. Yes. yes. Okay. Okay. So um, a call came in. I put it on do not disturb, but it just didn't work. Um, <laughs> Is there another call that came in? Okay. <laughs> what about now? Can you hear me now? We can hear you. Okay. You can hear me and I can't hear you, but that's okay. We're going to work this out. 
So let me talk because I don't need to hear myself. As long as you can hear me, we're good. Okay. So um, what was I talking about? Remind me where I was at. I lost my train of thought. Where you were going through the, the protests that were up at the school. Can you hear me? Hold on a second. Okay. Oh, don't do that. You, were, you was in here preaching. Where you going? Where you go? Don't go nowhere. Maybe he's signing back on from his laptop. I don't know. All right. We, All right. We, let's Stay wait tuned. A second. He'll yeah. be back. Hey, man. <laughs> it happens. We're live. Definitely one of the best guest speakers we have had on. And we've had a lot of good guest speakers on. But um, Raymond Gant, and it, it brings back memories now. Raymond Gant is a motivator. Whether or not he has to be, he has to have a, a, a gentle hand in getting you to where you need to go, whether or not you need a kick in the butt, Raymond Gant was that guy. And him speaking right now reminds me of, of times where he was, you know, telling me, hey, man, you're smart. Get your stuff together. Stop doing this dumb stuff. And, you know, I know you're at college, you need to experience <laughs> things, but business is business and you got to get to business. So, um, yeah, Raymond Gant is that guy. Um, I, I pride myself on being a marketing professional for the last 10 or 15 years. I've worked at some top 100 companies. I'm at a top 100 company right now. And I can honestly say without a doubt, it is because, um, at least in part, to Raymond Gant pushing that agenda as far as I'm, I, I'm concerned. So um, without a doubt, is he is that guy. I, I'm thinking one day I might... Uh, get Raymond again on FaceTime and let him talk two sons, <laughs> two young boys and get him on there so that he can talk to them and get them uh, where they need to be. I think Definitely. he is back. Let us check it out. Yes. For those of you who are watching, um, please be sure to share um, because he's going to drop some more nuggets on us tonight. So be sure to like and share, subscribe. Um, so we are good to go. I think that is Mr. Gant now. Professor. Okay. Yeah, all right. I can hear you. Right. Okay. All right, all right. I apologize for that. The no, no. Yeah, gave me, it's, gave me the it's, chance it's a technical to, glitch. To gave me the chance to, to big are. up, yeah, big up <laughs> a little bit. I was telling people that you know my professional career right now and where I am right now is is due to some degree to you. Uh, you know, some people need that that gentle approach. Some people need that kick in the butt, <laughs> and uh, you gave me that kick in the butt. That hey, man, you know, you're a smart guy. Stop with all this foolishness. And, you know, college is one thing, but handle business as well. And I think that is what led me to get to where I am today, without a doubt. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I was, a, I was a knucklehead. I, <laughs> well, I was you need those experiences. Sometimes we need experiences to remind us that that path is when we don't want to go down again. Definitely. So that's why you have to have those experiences. Better to have it at 20 didn't have it at 60, trust me. No, no, that's right. Definitely. <laughs> Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. So, yes, continue. You were saying that, you know, one of the biggest, I guess, um, uh, the highlights of your career or um, goals that, that you feel you accomplished was just seeing the young people grow into what they are today. Absolutely. There's no question about that. So it has very little to do with me, all to do with you, to be able to watch you transition from great to, to greater to greatest. 
that even to this day, I, I just get cold chills thinking about it. Uh, mm -hmm. Thinking about Christina Carson and Kanisha Foreman and, and Glenn, Glenn Woods and th those others that spoke and just, mm -hmm. and just hundreds of others that, that came even before them that have blazed the way, blazed the way. See, we, we have the responsibility to those that came before us. See, right. I, my duty was to my parents, my ancestors that blazed the trail for me, that made mm -hmm. sacrifices that in some cases cost them their life. And sure. I have the responsibility as well to those that came along with me. But most important, I have a duty to those that are coming behind me. Mm. That's most except because that represents the future. And so the, the, my greatest accomplishment, uh, the greatest victory, uh, the most significant highlight is to see that individuals like yourself transition into greatness. Awesome. Awesome. Now, how long were you at uh, Ferris? Was it 25, 30 years? How long were you there? Oh, wow. Yeah, I was there probably 23, 24 years, something like that, quite a, quite a while, and, and uh, turned the helm over to Mr. Dr. Matthew Christopher Cheney. Oh, Cheney, yeah, Cheney, yeah. yeah. Dr. Cheney, Dr. Oh, Cheney. Oh, right. yes. yes, I'm sorry. Yes, I remember, Dr. Cheney. I remember Cheney. <laughs> yeah, you remember Cheney, yeah. yeah. He's, just, uh, he's done a wonderful job with the office and continued his legacy uh, in my absence, and so uh, we, we were able to do quite a few things because Dr. Cheney was the the assistant director for many years, and Terry Houston was 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 oh. crucial in that role, and so was Ron Snead Jr. Uh, and just uh, Bill Martell, and just so many people uh, that came before, you know, that came along with us on this journey. They're they're doing great things now, and we were to start scholarships for students uh, wow. and just uh, just things that that never happened before. Where, where it happened throughout the course of the of, of my tenure there again, not because of me, but because of a joint joint uh, leadership effort of all of us, you know, conjoined to to make things better for students of color. Man, and that's that's back down memory lane. Terry, oh, I remember Terry. Oh, that was, that yes. was man, really helped out. Cheney, uh, Doctor Hub, just all of the guys who yes. were there who kind of helped us get to right. where we are. I, I was trying to think of. Uh, the NFL, there's a, a senior referee that was from Ferris, and I cannot think of his name right now, but just the, the Ferris Bulldog family is just everywhere. And, and that, that, right. that kind of reminds me of a lot of the, uh, the people who helped, you know, influence all of us to a certain degree. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Uh, we're, we're, the Ferris uh, Bulldogs are everywhere. Bulldogs are everywhere. <laughs> you know, what I wanted to do was I wanted to one day just identify all the authors the mm -hmm. black authors at Fair State. I, I know of at least probably 30 authors, uh, oh, wow. black authors from Fair State. Mm -hmm. okay. And uh, one brother that's doing some great things. And again, I just can't emphasize it. And there's so many, but Dr. Khalid El-Hakim. You might yeah. know him as Stan Bell. Stan. That brother, that brother <laughs> is doing some things, man. Yeah. Stan is, he's got his PhD, uh, oh, yeah. and he has one of the largest collections of African-American memorabilia in the country. Wow. Travels all over the world. It's written a couple of books. He just, he just, he just published a children's book. He uh, published another book called Ruminations. I have it right over here. Uh, and he published another book. He's an expert on hip hop. He's just, what a phenomenal man and, and just doing some great things. Just one of many. They're doing right. some incredible work. And didn't you guys put together a African-American museum that was tied to Ferris with, I think, uh, Omari was part of it or so, something along those lines that up at Ferris. I think it was after I left, but. Dr. David Pilgrim really is the curator for that uh, for the black first the the uh, black history. I, I'm trying to think of the name of Jim Crow. It's the uh -oh. Jim Crow Museum. 
Okay. And Dr. Yeah, Dr. David Pilgrim is really responsible for that. Mm-hmm. And that, as you know, that museum is getting has got a nationwide attention. Nation, and yeah. it's a it's know. it's worth a visit. If you've never been through it, you have to go through it. It's an emotional journey, but it's, again, mm-hmm. it's a journey that reminds you of our journey mm-hmm. that we've taken. And then it, it ends with, you know, you know, basically putting the baton in our hands and saying, "Where are you going to go from here?" Aww. So yeah, it's nice. incredible. I had heard it, it. It I think it came together after I left. But Amari and a few other uh, gentlemen had had kind of uh, been my ear to what was accomplished up at Ferris. Um, right. Yeah, it, it's once I did a little research. Yeah, it's nationally known. Um, I think they have a mobile component to that that Omari and those guys kind of champion. And it, uh, yeah, it, it's it's amazing that Ferris, which is, I think it's a D2 school still. It hasn't, right. it hasn't migrated to D1. But to right. have that type of influence mm-hmm. is amazing to me. Now, Omari's involved with uh, Dr. Khalid El-Hakib's museum. That's okay. the traveling museum. That's the Black History 101 mobile museum. That's what they, yeah. That's, that's the, the one that he's involved with. So yeah, they're all they're all over the they're all over the world with that. I know yeah. he was in the Pacific Northwest. They're on the East Coast. They've been down south. They've been over overseas. It's just you know it's, the demand is is overwhelming, and so but I remember when they just got started. I remember when <laughs> when they all just got started. That's so, so to awesome. to be able to witness that. You know, it feels good. It's like running around the track with the baton in your hand. Sure. You're popping off and running around that first corner, that second corner. Now on that back stretch, you know that back stretch where you see from the stands, Man. that long back stretch. And then you get to hit that third corner. And then uh-huh. I'm running out of air. I'm running out of air, but then I'm not done yet. I'm hitting that fourth corner. And now I'm looking at the exchange zone. And in the exchange zone, I see you, you two. And I'm running and I'm passing that baton on to you. But see, you know that when you get that baton, that you have prepared yourself for the race. You know, you got to stay in your lane. You got to put all you got into that race. You got to just exert every ounce of energy all the way around because it's your turn to right. carry that baton. Like it was my turn to carry it. Now it's your turn to carry it. And you Man. carry it around in your day. One day will end and you hit that second corner, that third corner and that fourth corner. And you're going to look at the exchange zone. And that's the generation behind you. And you want to make certain that you pour into that generation so that when you pass that baton off, they know exactly what to do with it. And that's what you're doing right now. You're preparing the next generation to receive the gifts that you have for them. Amazing. Amazing. Those are inspiring words, without a doubt. No matter if you were a Ferris alumni or you weren't, uh, truly inspiring words. Um, Okay, so after you um, completed your... Man, that's a lifetime, 20, 23 years. <laughs> um, but after you completed your uh, your journey at Ferris, um, what was your next endeavors? So when I left Ferris, you know, I left because I, I wanted to make change at another level, on a K-12 level, because I began to see the deterioration of, of student commitment to excellence. Mm. You know, we were, we, the students weren't as motivated as they needed to be and I felt like I need to go to K-12 to somehow initiate a change so that when they went to the university, they would be better prepared. Sure. So I left and went to, went to a company called the Leona Group, and I was the I hired on as their vice president for marketing and communication. So it was at the time one of the largest charter school uh, companies in the country. There were just only a couple of them. We they had like 80 schools at that time, and I was the VP VP for marketing for the entire for the entire organization. Wow. And then that segued into a regional vice presidency. 
And in that role, it's a superintendent is what it is. So I had a cadre of schools. See, I'm getting closer to the students, see. Ah. I had a cadre of schools. So now I could influence the educational direction of the schools because all the principals reported to me. So I had, I had schools in Flint, in Saginaw, Detroit, Traverse City. I had schools in Grand Rapids. I had schools in Benton Harbor. So I had schools all over the country. I mean, I mean all over the state, rather, mm -hmm. and was able to influence education at that level. And I even served as a principal for, for a few years. We had a principal that left suddenly. I stepped in and just, which I love that role, too, for a few <laughs> years, stepped into that principalship. And that was a wonderful, wonderful experience as well. And I did that for about uh, 11 years. Oh, and wow. after that? Uh, after that, I retired. You know, I retired. So I uh, well deserve retirement, said, right? Well, you know what? One thing about retirement, like uh, I remember Carlton Pearson said, uh, "I haven't stopped dancing. I just changed partners. <laughs> so I'm still, I'm still doing my thing. It's just that I'm doing it in a different, different realm. That's all. So the influence that I'm having now is in a different community. That's all. It doesn't stop. It just shifts. Mm -hmm. It just shifts. And so yeah. now I'm doing my own thing and. It's crazy what I'm doing now because, believe it or not, what I love to do, well, one, you know, working with students was great, but You're I also love to, I, I'm a woodworker, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I see your yeah. books all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it. I love building decks. I love making tables. I love making art. I just love doing, I mean, that piece back there on the wall, I made that piece and, you know, all this stuff. I just, that one back there, I just love, I love, I made the headboards. I made, I just love making stuff. So that's what I do. That's what I do now. And that's and so that's, such an, that's such an amazing transition that, you know, for, you know, almost 35, 40 years, you were a educator. Um, you taught uh, individuals and kind of shaped their reality. And then after that, you wanted to work with your hands. You wanted to, right. you know, create things um, from a base um, that you're doing now. And like I said, I see your stuff all the time. It's amazing stuff. It looks like you've been doing that all your life. So uh, well, I, I haven't been. Here's the here's the deal: is that you have to recognize that you have many gifts. Sure, you have many gifts. We only use a fragment of the gifts that we have. Mm. You have to use every gift that you have to try to find a way to influence other people and to make lives better. Mm. Your gifts are a gift to give to somebody else. Sure, they're not for you to hoard. It's for you to use to make someone else's travels easier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what your gift is. And so figure out what it is. Don't sit on it. As long as you can fog up a mirror, you can make a change. As I long as you're breathing, you can influence. And as long yeah. as you're alive, you can make a difference. So that's your responsibility to go forward and to make a difference in the lives of people. And then you would influence when it's all over 10, 20, 30, 40, 60,000, a million people. You can do it if you believe in it and go forward with the conviction and determination that's needed to make that happen. Amazing. Definitely. Amazing. That is a, that is a truly, um, I mean, it's a, it's a, a fruitful way and, and full life um, that you just let us know about. I mean, from your early beginnings to where you are now, first of all, retired is, is awesome to me because I mean, after you've worked all your life, now you get to pick and choose yeah. where you put your energy. That's amazing to me. That is something that we all strive for. Yes. Um, okay. I'm going to ask you a few questions. I always, always ask some, I say I throw my, my guest curveballs every now and then, but before I get to that, let me ask you one of the things that, um, I don't know, that, that, that kind of piqued my interest or I don't know, I guess I was a little sad, but a few years ago, 
the Rankin Center. They 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 did away with the Rankin Center, correct? Yes. Man, that yep. was I don't know why, but that hurt my heart when I heard they was getting rid of the Rankin Center. What, what yeah. was that? Were they just changing it? Were they demolishing it? What was going on with the Rankin Center? The Rankin Center was where we all came and just I don't want to say hung out, but we all our collective minds came together. Whether it was playing cards or just talking or just sitting up having a good time, uh, this is where you know everybody kind of socialized and, and, and came together as one. And it's gone now. I don't know. Man. Yeah, the, the Rankin Center is no longer there. It's a student services center now. But, mm -hmm. you know, it really wasn't the building. It really, truly wasn't the building. That's it true. was the people that made the difference. That's and true. so the building is nothing but brick and mortar. That's all mm -hmm. that it is. It's concrete. It's brick. It's 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 sand. It's asphalt. It's it's roof shingles. It's sure. glass. That's all that it is. Mm -hmm. The main thing that you have to keep is that is that solidarity amongst the people. It doesn't yeah. matter if you're meeting out in the back 40 or if mm -hmm. you're meeting in the newly remodeled student services center okay. or if you wanted to meet in the old record center or if you're going over to somebody's dorm room. It doesn't matter where you meet as long as you have a common vision and a collective purpose. The site of where you're meeting is insignificant. But I know what you're saying. Because mm -hmm. I too enjoyed the ranking center. It was my most of my career was in the ranking center. Right, that's I, I what I've right? been a lot of people on that ping pong table in the ranking <laughs> center. You know, yeah. So you know, I know all about the ranking center. It was a great, great experience for me. And but but things change, and so when things change, you have to be mobile. You yeah. have to be nimble. You have to be. You have to morph. You have to change. You have to shift. If things don't change, people don't like change for one. But it changes right. essential for growth. And yes, I love the dome room. I mean, I love the, the how the dome room echoed, you know, when you were the only one in there. You know, I loved all the parties. I loved performing when I used to step back in the day. And I yes, I used to step. You know, come on I, now. I want to see that. I've never seen Mr. Gant step. I want to see <laughs> Raymond Gant step. I, I, well, I, I used to. I, I used to wear a shirt called Squeeze If You Please. And I used to put, <laughs> on, put on a show in the dome room. Oh, yeah. Raymond Gant was something else back in the day. Oh, yeah. I had a good time. And so those that went to school with me can attest that, you know, we had we had a marvelous time, you know, back in the day. So yeah. fun, I didn't want to leave. I know. I hear you. I hear that. Totally, totally. Um, okay, so yeah, let me let me throw out some questions, and we, we always do current event questions just because of you know everything that's going on right now. And you're such an ed educated man, um, I'm sure that you have your own takes. Now, I always give this disclaimer before I talk about current events that um, I've been accused of being biased um, in some of these discussions as far as um, you know what's going on in the in the world currently and and what is perceived. So I try to be bipartisan to a certain degree because everyone who comes on, I want them to feel that they can speak freely without being condemned for what they're saying. Um, but, you know, as an educator, as an educated Black man, what do you think of, um, first let's start with the elephant in the room. What do you think of um, the, um, the time that we had with the Trump administration and some of the things that occurred during that time? I think what you saw during the Trump administration was uh, an example of selfishness to the nth degree. It was based in bigotry, misogyny. It was based in greed. It was based in isolation. It was based in a false sense of superiority. That's what we saw. What we saw was, was echoed and amplified by the by the minions that followed him and began to believe the stories, the, the false stories that he was telling. Yes. What happened in this country as a result of that is that we were extremely stressed. Mm 
yes. unbeknownst to many people, we you know that stress was was amplified. In fact, I was in a store today and just people arguing back and forth. And I was talking to the guy at the counter. He said, man, it's just like everywhere you turn, it's just stress. And it is stress. We're still, we're not over the stress from what happened in that administration. No. We're not. No. Um, and, and there's a sense of relief right now, but I don't want anyone to be under the misbelief that the current administration is going to solve all the problems. It's not going to happen. Very true. That's not Very going true. to happen. So don't think that just because we have someone in there that you think might support your views that you could take a deep breath and, and change things. Change comes from the grassroots, from mm -hmm. people wanting to make those changes. And that power can see nothing without demand. In other words, they're not going to change anything at the top right. until the people that are at the lower echelons collectively say, we want change and we demand change. That's what okay. happened in 1989 at Ferris State during the student riot, the student protest. That's what happened a few years later with the student protest. It was the collective body of those that were at the grassroots level that initiated change that resulted in a better institution. So to ask, if you want to know what my take is on, on, on the Trump administration and all the minions, I think I've articulated that pretty well. I've also communicated that, that we're not going to get to where it is we necessarily want to be with this administration. We have an active responsibility to make the change ourselves in our own life. As Gandhi would say, we must be the change that we want to see in others. So we yeah. begin by initiating the change and then change eventually will, will occur. Beautiful, beautiful. And I, I do... I was I was told about the riots. I didn't get up there to 91. So it happened like right before I did get up there. But um, I, I was privy to some of the information as far as the riots were concerned. So um, what about well, let me just say let me just say this real quick. The riot, the, the protest was 89. The riots were prior to that. Ron Sneed, John Matlock were they were Ron Sneed was the president of the NAACP at the time. They were in the riots of 68 and 69, where they were the recipients of Molotov cocktails, where they flipped over his car, where they, they burned his automobile. Yeah, I didn't hear car. about that. Yeah, I did oh, yeah. yeah, that was that was on the campus of Ferris State when, when almost with 90% of the black students were all put sent to jail, all incarcerated, oh, wow. taken down and arrested. That's right. Wow. That was that was before my time. Uh -huh. So you see, they made sacrifices way before I got there. Sure. And what sure. they had, what they had to endure was, was much more significant than what I had to endure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I want no, to. No, not at that. all. That, yeah. that, see, that is something that I wasn't told about. I was told about the demonstrations and things before I got there, but I had never heard that it, it became it, it, it before that it was to such a, a violent level at Ferris. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you wrote a book. Too, right? You're author too. Yeah, yep. Yeah. It's called Leading Shadows. It's a journey of the African American African American experience <laughs> in Fair State. Fair State from 2005 to from 1905 to 2005. Yeah. So, in fact, that book I wrote it only with the intent to make certain that our history is archived at the university. Mm -hmm. So I I wrote the book. I I only printed one copy and I sent it over to the uh, archives of Fair State. Alumni got a hold of it, loved it. I've had t two prints two printing since then that's the funds from this that book if it's supported scholarships for students at fair state it's done very very well so and but that wasn't the intention the intention was to make sure our experiences were on file at that university in the archives so you go in the archives that book which is probably back there somewhere i had it over there somewhere <laughs> yeah yeah that let's, book not, was a, let's not gloss over that if someone wanted that book uh, are they able to obtain a copy now well, right. I, I need to, well, the, the short answer is no, because it's all sold out. 
It was sold in the bookstores. It sold out. And I've gone on. Now I'm doing genealogy work. And so I've done some other things, too. When I'm writing a family history book, which I'm 430 pages into. So it's just, it's just a timing issue for me. But I need to, I really need to get another printing because I get requests all the time for that book. Yeah. Do you know? It's called Leading, Leading Shadows. Do you know how many of us would purchase that book if it was available? If you told us right now that we could go pick up that book on Amazon, do you know how many people would go out and buy that book right now? Yeah, I know. I know. We're going to work on that. We're both marketing guys. Okay. So <laughs> okay. All we're right. Work on that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I appreciate that. Script. We'll get it published. There you go. All um, right. That'll work. <laughs> what do you think of the, um, the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that happened as far as the civil unrest and, and you know, um, you know, it, it was when, when Trump came into play, it was almost like the the bigotry, the racism was, you know, out in the open now. The, the, the covers have been pulled back. And, you know, we uh, as a people um, voiced our opinion. And when our opinion wasn't heard, we voiced it other ways to make sure that we were heard. What are your thought process as far as, um, and I, I think these are two separate subjects, but the the riots that, that were taking place and the Black Lives Matter movement as a whole. I think the Black Lives Matter movement has good intentions. Okay. Um, you're always going to have individuals within a movement have selfish intentions. Sure. And sure. what happens is that that those two or three individuals then become they they end up branding the good intentions. Right. I think that's what happens in a negative way. Okay. Um, but I think we we have to find a way to equalize the playing field. Okay. And no one's going to give you anything. Right. They're just not going to do it. Right. Why, let me let me tell you this. Let me ask you this question. If everywhere you went in life, everywhere you went, every store you went into, you got a 10% discount, mm -hmm. Walmart, Meyer, to, to, to Sibley's, wherever you went, you got a 10% off, 10% off, wherever you went, it would be difficult for you to give that up, right? Of course. That's the advantage of having privilege in this world. Mm -hmm. yeah. They have the privilege, which is a 10% discount, and they don't want to give that up. Right. They don't want to give up that because even if it meant that all of us are paying the same thing, I still want my 10%. Right. So you have people that are advocating for equality and leveling the playing field, but subconsciously and silently, they don't want to give up that 10%. Right. Right. That's what's going on in the world. The Black Lives Matter movement say, you know what? You're going to give up the 10% mm -hmm. because that's what we need to do to make this, to level this playing field. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be a struggle, but it's, it's, it's a cause worth fighting for. And but I don't believe in I don't believe in, uh, in inciting violence. I don't believe in breaking out windows and starting fires. That's not what I believe in. I do believe in in civil disobedience. I believe that there are some laws that should be broken. The mm -hmm. segregation laws of the uh, laws of the South, the Jim Crow laws of the South, were which should have been broken. And I believe that they should have been. And if they ever come back to into fruition, we need to resist those kinds of laws. So yes, there are some laws. That as John Lewis said, get in some trouble, get in some good trouble, and right. find some good trouble to get into, and that's right. the good trouble that we need to get into to make the changes that are necessary to to make this world better. Definitely. Okay. Now here's my curveball right here. All right. Okay. So, if the new president, President Biden, and shout out to uh, you know what? Before I get into that, what do you think of Vice President Harris? Um, well, I'm very, I'm very pleased that we have, first of all, to have the first woman vice president. Mm 
And secondly, to have a woman of color in that position speaks volumes in terms of where we've come in this country. That's an incredible, incredible growth that we're witnessing. I think that she is in a position to, to initiate a lot of change. And if you look at the Biden administration, which I think is where you're going with this next question, mm -hmm. the fact that you're seeing such diversity in key appointments within his cabinet and mm -hmm. within, within other committees and other departments speaks volumes to his commitment to diversity, which is not in a vacuum. And right. that Kamala Harris, Vice President Harris, is influencing that process as well. Trust me. She's got power. You are oh, not really? a vice president of the United States without power and influence. And he's listening to the to her, her to her wise counsel. So we're seeing changes as a result of his commitment that he made during his campaign and also her commitment that she has demonstrated throughout the course of her vice presidency as well. OK. Um, OK. So if uh, the president and vice president call you and say that, um, you know, because of your background, because of your education, because of what you've done in your time here, we would like to put you on a panel to make positive but realistic changes as far as diversity goes, as far as the black agenda goes. And they gave you three, give me your top three uh, for a list that we can tackle to truly make a difference. What do you think that list would entail for you? Well, the, the reality is, is that Racism is is not our issue. Right. It's not our issue. That's We're true. just the recipients of the negativity associated with racism. Mm -hmm. It's not that I need to change. It's that the power structure needs to change. That the is that the systems that are in place need to change. Dick Gregory once said, if you took out all the white leadership and put all black leadership in these organizations and maintain the existing policies, it still would be a racist organization. Because the policies are racist. It, right. so it doesn't matter. So the policies, the practices, they have to be changed in order for us to realize the, the, the vision that, that Dr. King and, and Brother Malcolm, Malcolm X and others had. We have mm -hmm. to do that. So the issue is, one, there has to be an acknowledgement that, that there was blatant bigotry and hatred in this country. Which this they don't to this day. Yeah, they, yeah. to this day, I haven't heard it. I mean, I hear little whispers of it, but I need it. So how do you acknowledge it? Well, you know what? I'm going to tell you what. I want my 40 acres and a mule, okay? Without a doubt. So if you're going to tell me that you didn't mean it, then then demonstrate that. Right. So provide the economic foundation that that uh, that I would need in order to get a, a toehold and a foothold. You see, black folk, Asian folk, brown folk built this country from the railroads to mm -hmm. the White House to mm -hmm. you, to the, the, the government structures, to all the buildings you see, to the wealth that white folk have today, that's built on the, blacks of, on the backs of free labor. Right, without a doubt. So, so I'd like to recoup some of that labor and some, some, of that, some of those resources that my family contributed to. Now we're talking. You start talking about land, you're talking about power, you're talking about influence. That's where I'm at with it. So talk all day long, but start doling out some of those dollars and some of that property. Now we're where we need to be. Right. That's real physical change. That's right. You know? That's right. Right. Okay. It's better than holding hands saying we shall overcome. Nothing wrong with that. Right. But uh, we can overcome better when I got a few dollars in my pocket and I own the block down there now. Now, okay, yeah, we can overcome now. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. I just think there needs to be some some physical demonstration of wealth 
commitment to those that have been historically underserved and suppressed and oppressed. Now, a lot of people, and, and I, I've seen this recently because of the transition of power, that um, uh, Biden and his camp are trying to, like you said, be very di diverse in their cabinet, in their policies. Um, and they've done a lot for the, um, man, I don't want to mess this up because I don't want to offend anybody. The LBTGQ, is that correct? LGBT. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered, and queer. Okay, yes. I got it yep. right. All right, I'm good. Yep. Okay, so there has been a lot done to champion that cause, and I've seen a lot of responses through. I mean, I'm on social media every day because of my job, um, so I see this all the time that a lot of people are saying, "Well, wait, the agenda is kind of shifting now. That civil rights movement is shifting now to that community, which we do." I mean, black folks in general are open arms to everyone. I mean, we, we are just loving people. But at the same time, don't forget about the agenda that still hasn't been taken care of. Now, what would you say to that? Because it seems that that, that is changing now. So now it almost seems like the black community is being pitted against that community because we're like, well, before they get theirs, you know, what, what happened to what we, what we deserve, what we earned thus far? We've always been put on the on the back burner when it comes to righting the wrongs mm -hmm. and, and to establishing justice. If you look at the women's movement, for example, it's a prime example. The women's movement came on the heels of the civil rights movement, which was right. for the, the black movement. But the women's agenda, which is which was which needed to be changed mm -hmm. because women were making 40 cents on the dollar for every dollar a man was making. So we needed to change that. Mm -hmm. But the, the impetus of that initially was the black movement with suppression of black folk, denial of opportunity for people of color. But it's like the, the women's movement had a leapfrog over the black agenda. Exactly. And so now we're at a point where, okay, let's remind people of the black agenda again. Now another agenda will mm -hmm. leapfrog over our agenda as well. Here's the deal. They're not mutually exclusive. There's room yeah. enough for all, okay? <laughs> it's, not, it's not one or the other. It can be both. Mm -hmm. I believe whether whether you it's not even about whether you believe in in, in gay marriage or not. Mm -hmm. I believe that everyone should be treated fairly with dignity and respect. Exactly. Everyone should be given an opportunity, regardless of your orientation, for mm -hmm. and not being denied an opportunity because of of what you of who you love. Who mm -hmm. you love is who you love. Right. And you should not be you should not be denied a, an opportunity for growth based mm -hmm. upon that. That's my personal belief. Yeah. But at the same time. I've got, a, I've got an agenda, too, that I want to see fulfilled as well. Yeah. But I'm not so selfish as to think it's all about me. Right. Because when you have that all about me attitude, then you become a trumpet. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened there. It's all about him or it's all about the wealthy elite to mm -hmm. line those pockets more at the expense of those that are really supporting the, 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 the growth and development of this country, which yes. are those, the middle class, the working class, and the underclass. They're the ones supporting this country. Everybody. I read That's some. Right. I read a, a statement yesterday from uh, one of the restaurant owners here in our town that said that uh, Black History Month was racist. What if I said, "What about White History Month?" Like that's the kind of stuff that every month is White History Month. I mean, no disrespect, yeah. but you know, it, it. Yeah, we see that a lot all the time. When you have, when you have finite time and finite energy. 
you right. are real selective as where you spend your time and your energy, right? right? So do I spend my time trying to refute that? No. I no. spend my time on pouring into the greatness that I have to reminding people like you two, the, the generations come behind me to remind you of how great you are. Not trying to convince somebody that I'm great. No, just to right. show you, just show you your history and take it from there. The history, the evidence will speak for itself. It's just that we are not privy to it. It's been denied us. It's been suppressed. It's been altered in the textbooks. It's been changed in the history books. Mm -hmm. And then when you begin to read about who you are and you see the greatest from which you came, you're like, man, that was me. Not only were we kings and queens in Africa, we were kings and queens in Europe. Yes. Come on now, Queen yeah. Charlotte. Yes. All right. Yes. So the, the black woman, that's mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. And all of her children were, were also part of the royalty as well. That was mm -hmm. a black woman. Let's not forget. Yes. She was a Moor. So my point is that we just have to remind ourselves of the greatness from which we came. And then when you realize that you walk around, not, not in an arrogance, but in a confidence. It's, a, it's the insecure person that looks at a confident person and says that they're arrogant. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Words to live by. Um, sir, we will not hold any more of your time up. Uh, I was telling people when you had briefly went off that... Uh, We've had some great speakers on here. I mean, we've had psychologists and attorneys and just a wealth of minorities that are, are truly community leaders and role models. But, and of course I'm biased, but without a doubt, best interview we've had thus far, it ain't even close. Um, we are, and I, I will throw this out there that, um, you know, I, I have a marketing agency, you know, outside of my nine to five. and one of the things that we're doing is that we're putting together a podcast network. So we're going to have different channels. We're going to have attorneys answering questions and psychologists answering questions, but um, don't be surprised if uh, you get a couple of emails from me, from me trying to get you to, to have your a, own podcast. We've got to have a channel that is ran that's against channel. Um, well, thank you. Our network, yes. doubt, because that's what's I'll, so I'll be delighted. I'll be delighted. Yeah, I'll be delighted. Thank you for. I'm so humble. Uh, I appreciate that very much, and I'll do whatever you need me to do. Trust exactly, me. Sir. Um, if we can have one um, last nugget of wisdom from you, I always ask people. Um, we have young people all the time that uh, need a push. Um, I, I I did a seminar for some high school students that are in a college prep course, they're going to Japan, they're engineering majors. Um, and one of the young gentlemen, uh, because of the pandemic, was having a very tough time. Now, this was about a year ago when the pandemic first started. And uh, he re his teacher reached out to me because she said, you know, he was very taken in with the, the seminar and whatnot. But that that gave me that thought that there are a lot of young people right now that are you know, they're, they're feeling it, whether it's because of school, whether it's that threshold of, do I want to go to college? I hear a lot of people saying right now that, you know, college is overrated and it's just money that's not well spent. If you could give a, a you know, a, a quick 60 second pitch to someone that's on that edge of, you know, do I want to go to college or what do I want to do with my life or, you know, just kind of in a, in a crossroad, so to speak. What would your advice be to them? 
Well, I, you know what? There's many things I want to say, but I'm I'm limited to 60 seconds. So I'm going to go with something that was near and dear to me. Hey, I, I can't limit you. You're my mentor. I can't limit you. <laughs> well, we have the confines of the, we, you know, okay. we have the limitations of the show. Okay. Yeah. So, and it's it's something I didn't write this, but I want to share this with you. Something that King wrote. He said that if it's your call in life to be a street sweeper, sweep okay. those streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Oh wow! Sweep those streets like Beethoven composed music. Mm. Sweep those streets like like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Mm. Sweep those streets so well that the hosts of the heaven and earth would have to pause and say, "There stood a great street sweeper who mm. swept his job well." Mm. If you can't be the pine on the top of the hill, be a bush. If you can't be a bush, be a shrub, but be the best little shrub in the valley. If you can't be a highway, be a trail. If you can't be the sun, be a star. Mm. It isn't by size whether you win or you fail. Be the best at whatever you are. Mm. And remember this, the heights of great women reached and kept were not attained by sudden flight, but they, while their companions slept, were toiling upwards through the night. Nothing replaces hard work. Wow. You work hard. You stay focused. You seek your passion. You identify your purpose, and you go forward. And you too will make a change. Definitely. That is how we end it because you, I can't say nothing after that. That's 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 words of wisdom for everybody listening right there. Uh, Professor Gant, thank you so much. Uh, not only thank for you. being on the podcast, but for um, you know positioning my life to where I am. You know, I'm. I, I, I tell people all the time, I'm not rich, but <laughs> You know, wife, kids, house, good career. I'm where I should be, and I can honestly say, without a doubt, that that is that is due in part to what you've instilled in me, without a doubt. Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, thank, thank you so you very, much. Thank you very much for your time. We we love to have you back. Um, you will get emails and and some texts from me. So you know, <laughs> tell me, hey Marcelo, give me a break, man, because I'm ready. <laughs> I've been in marketing for 15 years now going on and we have a lot of things in the pipeline and I can honestly see a place in many different ventures that we're doing um, that, that you could be a, a great inspiration and part Definitely. of. Definitely. You have a lot of knowledge to share. Thank Definitely. you very much. God bless both of you. God you bless you. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. All, All right. right. I, hey, we should just shut it off right now. Usually I give a, a ending and, and, and whatnot, but man, that was inspirational to the nth degree. I mean, without a doubt in my mind, if you ain't motivated by what was just said, then man, you don't have a pulse. Okay, mm -hmm. Stay every, tuned to his podcast. Man, for <laughs> everybody out there who's thinking about starting a business, yes. doing some entrepreneurship, whatever Whatever you are thinking about in the back of your head, do that you're it. like, oh, I might do it, I might not do it. Those do those it. words of wisdom that you just received should push you over the edge into whatever you are trying to do. Um, I, I will give a quick shout out to uh, whenever we have somebody from Ferris. Uh, one of my clients is Bulldog Square, which is a strip mall in Big Rapids that is you know a couple of blocks away from Ferris. Um, he's always... Uh, Mark Baker, which is the owner, is always helpful um, and sponsors us when we have somebody from Ferris or a Ferris alumni on there. So if you guys are in Big Rapids or you're looking to, you know, they had Enterprise over there and a, a slew of other um, companies over there that are small businesses. So if you are in Big Rapids, please, uh, you know, support those small businesses in the area. 
they support this show and sponsor this show and we have Ferris alumni on. Um, please um, like our, our podcast, share our podcast. We're on every Wednesday uh, at 7 Central. Uh, once again, the reason for this podcast is, like I said, we just got so much negativity as far as the black community and Asian community was concerned that, you know, I was, you know, those who know me know that, you know, at times I can have a temper or whatnot. And I was, at times? <laughs> I, I was, uh, you know, it, 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 it rubbed me the wrong way. Some of the things yeah. that I heard out there from close friends and family members, even that, you know, the, 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 the problem with the black community is there's no role models except for athletes and movie stars, which is, rappers. you know, or rappers, which, which is so, so far from the truth that we come here to highlight yes. the community leaders and the role models of the Asian and black community. So people who do think that way can have, yeah, can have a place that where that narrative is changed mm -hmm. because you see people out here that's not millionaires and on TV all the time, but people that are in your own backyard. It's easy to say what can be changed and what should be done. It's a far different journey when someone spends their time and their, their, their money in their life to help others. And when we see that, we champion it and we, we, we give praise where praise is due. So uh, please um, come on, check us out, share it. Uh, we got a lot of things in the work coming up. Um, and I think that's it. You got anything to say, Sue? No, I think you pretty much summed it up. I talk too much. You do. I'm, I'm just I'm kidding. I'm, I'm a <laughs> no, it's cool. I'm a he, he likes to talk. Um, all right. So uh, with that, I would say goodbye. We ran a little bit over, but, you know, like I said, that's that's my mentor. So I can't shut my mentor up. If he wanted to talk for another hour, we'd have just had to make do with what we had to make do. Uh, but on that note, Blazing Soul Podcast signing off. We'll holler at y'all next week, Wednesday. Please, uh, um, tune in next week for another episode and uh, we'll holler at y'all. Same time, same place. Peace. Back on. Peace.